2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? Or what accord has Christ with Belial? Or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Therefore go out from their midst and be separate from them, says the Lord, and touch no unclean thing. Then I will welcome you, and I will be a father to you, and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. So throughout the scriptures, we see a call from God for us to be separated from the worldliness of society and live as faithful followers of the one true God. And this was his plea to Israel throughout the Old Testament as they would cycle from obedient to disobedient constantly, requiring the discipline of the Lord to show them their wicked paths, that they were destroying their relationship with their father. And he didn't want that. He wanted to be their father. The word father is used about a thousand times throughout the scriptures, and most of the books in the Old Testament average about 20 verses that have that word father in it. And that's mainly in the natural sense, mother, father, family type stuff. Genesis is the exception, using the word over 160 times. And the New Testament is similar. It averages about 20 uses of that word, with the exception of Matthew, whose genealogy of Jesus bumps that up significantly. And Luke also uses that word several times. But the Gospel of John uses that word over 100 times. And most of the verses are Jesus speaking of God the Father. So you can do a word search for the word Father in your Bible software or in a concordance and look at all those verses and read through them. It's pretty cool because you see Jesus constantly refers to his Father. It becomes evident very quickly that he takes his relationship with the Father very seriously. So when Paul tells the Corinthian believers that they must separate themselves from the unclean things of this world, it's not to ruin their fun. Rather, as he says, it's so that we can be welcomed into the family of God where God will be our Father. And that's the gospel message one of redemption or being purchased out of slavery of this world and invited into the family of God where we have communion with our Father. But when we are yoked with unbelievers, and the idea of the word yoked is that big beam that's strapped on the back of animals to keep them in unison, and in the same way, when we are living our lives in the company of unbelievers, they rub off on us. We become in unison or in agreement with a lot of the things that they do or they say or they think, and that causes problems in our relationship with God. But it doesn't mean that we don't have anything to do with them. It just means that our relationship with God is based on truth, and it's based on a real relationship with Jesus. So we have his spirit in us. And there's a lot of things that contradict the mindset of unbelievers when we follow Jesus. So we need to be careful with that. And there are times in life where that may be less significant, such as a project at work where we are working with unbelievers and the common objectives are agreed upon by all. That's not what this is talking about. It's talking about the sense of a spiritual connection with God. Unbelievers do not have that connection. And being in agreement with them on matters that will affect our walk with God puts us in a place where our morals are at risk, as well as our relationship with God. In 1 Corinthians 15, 33, it says, do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. So keeping that company with people that will build you up is important. Being close to those outside the family of God, it can have an impact on our relationship with God. 
But in the same sense, we're supposed to be a light in this world, and that light is supposed to be seen by unbelievers. So if we do like some Christians do and take this verse to mean I can't ever even be around unbelievers or let my kids be around unbelievers, we can miss the opportunities to be that light. And Paul wrote earlier in the first letter to the Corinthians in chapter 5, verse 9, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all to mean the sexually immoral of this world or the greedy or the swindler or the idolaters, since then you would need to go out of the world. But now I'm writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed or is an idolater, reviler, drunkard, or swindler, not even to eat with such a one. That's a hard one because there's a lot of people in church that are guilty of sexual immorality practicing things that are ungodly as well as being revilers, and then there was partiers, drunkards. I mean, there's just those people in church. So we have to be careful with that. And Paul's saying, don't even be a part of them. Don't even eat with one of them. So we got to weigh that and make sure that we are being wise when we're dealing with people that come into church. They may be in the initial process of coming to faith. And yeah, they're still in the world. They're still doing all these things, but they're trying. So being careful and not being too judgmental on them, rather getting to know them and saying, hey, you know, here's what the Bible says about these things. Where are you at with the Lord, man? If they say, you know, I'm still struggling, it's like, okay, hey, let's pray about it and let's continue to work forward in it rather than just say, well, you're in church now, so you have prof- to be a Christian, that means you have to stop doing all this stuff right now or God's going to strike you down, you know, that kind of attitude. Be gentle with them, but sincere. You don't have to sugarcoat anything, but we are supposed to be having love for the brethren. And when dealing with a new believer, we need to be patient with them like they were patient with me. We need to be wise in dealing with people that are still living in sin. We have to be faithful to the Lord and call them out on certain things appropriately as responsible believers, because we want to see that person blessed. We don't want to see them have to go through the drama that's coming their way when you're playing games with God. And I've seen a ton of this with people that are playing games. You warn them, hey, man, this isn't good. And nah, whatever, I'm good, man. And then you watch and then their life explodes and then chaos. And they usually leave thinking that everyone's judging them when they're not judging them. They're just being stupid and being disobedient. And now the consequences come down on their head. We don't want that. That's why it's important that we're an example to these people and we teach them the word so they don't have to go through this stuff and ruin their relationship with the Lord. The people at work, the people in our extended families, our neighbors, you know, they're supposed to see the light in us. So we're not supposed to avoid worldly people completely. How are they ever going to hear about Jesus? Oh, I know. They can go to church and listen to the pastor. That'll fix them. We got to remember that church can be repulsive to people. A lot of people have gone to church and they've experienced bad things, people being backstabbing hypocrites and all this kind of stuff. So getting an unbeliever into church, they may just say, you know what, I don't want to go to your church. That's not what I'm interested in. And it may be that they have a legitimate reason for that. And you may be the only person who they have in their circle to tell them about Jesus. Also, Churches don't exactly have the best reputation for inviting unbelievers in. Just yesterday, I met a brother who had come to Jesus a few years ago, and he's serving the Lord in an awesome, radical way. He told me that before he got saved, his mom invited him to church because he was such a mess. So he went in, dressed like he normally dresses, showing off all of his ink. You know, he was booted from the church. They came up to him and said, sorry, you need to dress appropriately to come here. And this was just a few years ago. This wasn't like 20 or 30 years ago. And he told me that he just looked at his mom and he's like, see, this is why I don't want to go to church. And he had a legitimate reason for walking out. 
But God ultimately got a hold of him. But that memory of being treated like that as an unbeliever coming into church and then being removed from the church, sorry, you can't come in here. You think Jesus would do that? So we can't depend on churches or pastors to be the sole source of information about Jesus. That's our job. In Ephesians 4.11, it says, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints, and the saints are believers, for the work of the ministry for building up the body of Christ. Our job is to do the work of the ministry. And somewhere down the line of history, this verse got shelled, and Sunday service became the quote-unquote work of the ministry. But the job of building up the body of Christ, which is another name for his church, that falls upon all of us. And we are accountable to God for what we do in this life, mainly being a witness. 2 Corinthians 5.10, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. And the things that are considered good in this verse are the things done in faith, or in other words, the things that God is calling us to do. And God is calling us to glorify his name, being a witness. Psalm 50.14, Offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving and perform your vows to the Most High and call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you and you shall glorify me. So there's an invitation to bless God and see his work being done in our life. However, when you continue reading in Psalm 50, which is a good one to memorize or a good one to become familiar with, it says in verse 16, But to the wicked, God says, What right have you to recite my statutes or take my covenant on your lips? For you hate discipline, and you cast my words behind you. If you see a thief, you're pleased with him, and you keep company with adulterers. You give your mouth free rein for evil, and your tongue frames deceit. You sit and speak against your brother. You slander your own mother's son. These things you have done, and I have been silent. You thought that I was one like yourself. But now I rebuke you and lay the charge before you. Mark this then, you who forget God, lest I tear you apart, and there be none to deliver. The one who offers thanksgiving as his sacrifice glorifies me. The one who orders his way rightly, I will show the salvation of God. Our role in this life is to glorify God in all that we do, and being unequally yoked hinders us. But loving unbelievers and ministering to them, that not only builds us up, but it reveals a heart that is building up the body of Christ and showing the light of love in this dark world, and that glorifies God. So be careful who you're hanging around with and how they're influencing you. If the relationship is dragging you down spiritually, remember, you're going to be in eternity a lot longer than you're going to have this friend. Go out and be a light in this world, and you'll be blessed. Thank you.